This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, teaching minister Tim Peace will be teaching the message. Well, this morning we get to start a new message series for the month of December called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And as I was thinking through the passage we're going to look at today, this word allegiance came to mind. And I don't know if you guys, did anyone grow up reciting the Pledge of Allegiance when they were in elementary school? You know? Anyone want to stand and do it with me now? <laughs> I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to this republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Hey, there you go. Good job, guys. Yeah, I was actually talking to uh, a few uh, teachers this morning that they don't do that as regularly in school or at all, and I was thinking about this word allegiance, and I, that, that came to mind, so I was like, you know, I wonder if I remember that, and I was thinking about what it means to pledge allegiance to something or to someone. You know, we have this thing that we recite growing up that we're pledging allegiance to our country as an act of patriotism, as an act of commitment, but what does it mean to pledge allegiance to something? When we think about pledging allegiance to something, we, we're taking a posture of subordination to something greater than ourselves and saying that I'm going to follow this idea, this person, this ideal. That's what it means to pledge our allegiance to something. And I think it's, a, it's an important thing. We don't, when, we, when we think about Christmas time and we think about the, the warmth of the lights on the trees and you know, our manger scenes, and if we get really into the season, you know, we, we might find weird warmth in the chaos of shopping. I don't. But anyway, you, you might, um, you, you just get really into it. And so we don't often think of something uh, as weighty as pledging allegiance. But the truth is, I think the reason that we don't think about that is because we've lost the shock value of what the Christmas season is actually all about. And when I say all about, I automatically think that I'm being Linus right now. So I'm just kidding, sorry. We lose the weightiness of the season because the truth is, is that when we think about this idea, God with us, and how we're going to explore that this month by looking at the prophetic utterances of the prophet Isaiah, we come to realize that at the core of the Christmas message is a call to pledge our allegiance to one and only one. And so to go into that this morning, I want to draw your attention. I don't know, do you guys really find genealogies fun to read? I'm, I'm, I know nobody, maybe some people do, but oh, I'm glad that you did. Thank you. Uh, um, there's, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew uh, is the, the first of four biographies about Jesus in our New Testament. And in the very first chapter, there's a genealogy that traces the lineage of Jesus. 
whom the story is going to be about. And I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but in verse 9, it says, and I know I'm starting in the middle of a long genealogical sentence here, but it says, And Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Ahaz, who's this guy? I'm sure just by me reading that verse that you're now curious about who Ahaz is. This random name in the middle of a genealogy in the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Well, Ahaz is going to be important for us this morning as we look at the first of the prophetic sayings of Isaiah in chapter 7. Because at the time that the prophet Isaiah is doing his work in the seventh chapter of Isaiah, he's doing it in relation to this king of Judah named Ahaz. And Ahaz, if you read about him, which you can find in 2 Kings 16, is that Ahaz was a king in the lineage of David. At the time, after Solomon, David's son, had died, the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Israel, split in two, a north and a south. The southern, or the northern place was called Israel, and it captured 10 of the tribes of the kingdom. And then Aloli too were captured in what's called Judah, the southern region of the kingdom that split apart. And if you read through the kings, first and second kings, you get this, uh, you get this portrait of what these kings are all about. And, and at every turn, we find out something from God's point of view about these kings as we go through them one by one. Those that were part of the northern regime, the, the regime of Israel, were mostly rotten <laughs> from God's perspective. There was constantly this idea that it would say, uh, and then this king took place and they did not do favorably in the eyes of the Lord. But the kingdom of Judah, the smaller section, the southern section, was a mixed bag. And that was important because this, this lineage derived directly from David. And so we get to King Ahaz in, in, King, in 2 Kings 16, and what we find out is that Ahaz was 20 years old. <laughs> 20 years old being put in charge. Not a wise move. Anyway, um, <laughs> he's 20 years old. We find out he reigned for 16 years. And he did not do favorably in the eyes of the Lord. We find that out in the first three verses of 2 Kings, chapter 16. In fact, what we find out is that he was partaking in sacrifices of his own children to Moloch. That's pretty messed up. Oh, also in Leviticus, it's frowned upon for any Israelite to do, to partake in uh, pagan sacrifice rituals. This king wasn't a great king at all. And so that backdrop is important when we come to Isaiah chapter 7. Because the role of the prophet 
at that time. And a lot of us think about prophecy and prophets, and we think about future telling. And we're going to learn that there's some future telling at play here. But more importantly, when we think of the idea of a prophecy or a prophet doing his work, we should think of someone that's willing to go to anyone and everyone and say, thus saith the Lord. This is what God proclaims. And in the case of Isaiah, he was at work with multiple different kings, specifically with the tribe of Judah. And he would go to these kings and he would deliver a word from God to tell them how they should operate, to call them out when they are not living favorably in the eyes of the Lord God. And in Isaiah chapter 7, we find that Isaiah has come to the king Ahaz to give him a word from the Lord. And what's interesting is, to give you a little bit of history here, Ahaz, as the king of Judah, uh, was facing uh, strife and issues with both the king of Israel at the time and the king of a place that existed in modern-day Syria. These two have been in cahoots, and they were going to come, and they were going to wipe out King Ahaz at the time. And so, what Ahaz does is he turns to a king in the kingdom of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser, an interesting name, second on the list that we were going to name our kid with. Um... Almost made the cut. So this king was king of the superpower at the time. And King Ahaz has decided he's going to team up with this king so that these folks from the north don't come and usurp his power. He wants to stay in control of Judah. And what better way to do that than to partner up with the world power that can kick their butts? And this is where Isaiah comes in. Isaiah comes in, and I want us to read this together. It starts in chapter 7, verse 10. And this is what is written. It says, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shale or high as heaven, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. 
Now, this passage is really interesting. The first thing I want to point out to you is if you know your Old Testament, Old Testament laws and sayings in Deuteronomy, there's this, there's this idea that I will not put the Lord God to the test. In fact, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness by Satan, one of the quotes that he shoots back at Satan with is, I will not put the Lord my God to the test. And so we may read this passage and think that Ahaz is being somewhat pious in his reply to Isaiah. But that's why it's important to read. <laughs> because in verse 10, it says that the Lord spoke to Ahaz and told him to ask for a sign. He's using the word of God against what God is asking him to do. Because he's already made his decision. Sure, the God of heaven and earth, the greatest power in the world, is coming to his aid. But for King Ahaz, it's easier to trust in the worldly power that's in place in Assyria to take care of him. And so God gives him the sign. And if you know the Christmas story at all, you'll recognize that sign. Now, you may be wondering a little bit about that passage um, because it says that a young woman will give birth, and you may be thinking, well, isn't it a virgin will give birth? Well, yes, that, that's actually, it's a both-and scenario here. Not to be a little geeky here, but in the Hebrew, the word is young woman, and the Greek translation of that word is the word for virgin. It's a both-and scenario. And that's important to capture because what we're dealing with here in this passage is a prophetic word from God that's going to have an immediate impact on the life of King Ahaz, but it also is forward-thinking into the future about one coming later. And we'll get to him in a moment. <laughs> because he's the reason that we're all here every Sunday. But the reason that it's so important to step back and look at the context of what's happening in Isaiah 7 is that Ahaz, this king of Judah, is living in a world where there is a superpower at play. And at this time, it's very easy for him to consider, if I don't partner with this superpower, I'm going to be under their thumb. They'll take me out. And if they don't, this kingdom in Israel and this other kingdom that's partnering together, they'll wipe me out. So I'm going to go cozy up with the big superpower, and I'm not going to trust in God. And so what we have here is we get this sign that's given to him and while on the one hand, God does promise that the two kingdoms that he dreads will be wiped out, their land will be deserted, there will be a consequence with yielding to the power of Assyria versus relying on and trusting in the power of God. Because if you know the rest of your history, you will know that eventually there will be a king after Ahaz, his son, Hezekiah, and actually, he'll do right 
in the eyes of the Lord for the most part. But eventually, he'll be wiped out by the Babylonians. And Jerusalem will be destroyed. And the people will be in exile. Because the truth is, is that the the testimony of Scripture throughout the entire Old Testament is to trust in God, to walk in His ways, and you will have life, you will have plenty, you will have the land flowing with milk and honey, but if you don't, disaster will be upon you. And that goes for kings and kingdoms that were put in place by God Himself. That's the world that King Ahaz is living in. A world in which there is a tension at play. Do I trust the God who created the universe or do I trust in the known entity that will achieve what I want to achieve in life? Will I pledge my allegiance to God or will I pledge my allegiance to a lesser power that will come to my aid, that will fix my suffering, that will make every promise under the sun to make me feel safe and in control. That's the tension that King Ahaz faces. It's a tension that every king that the prophets deal with faces. And in most cases, the kings don't pass the test. <laughs> and that's the world, believe it or not, that Jesus enters into. That's the kind of world Jesus enters into. Because when we come to the time of Jesus, there is a new superpower in charge. Its name is Rome. And the people of God, the Jewish people, are under the thumb of the great superpower of Rome. Sure, the exiles from Babylon were able to go back and they were able to begin rebuilding their temple, but they were never really free because it was just a waiting game until the next superpower came in and took charge. And at the time that Jesus comes into the world, what you have is you have the rulers and leaders of the Jewish people of the time that have to deal with the same tension that the kings of Israel and Judah had to face before. Do I trust in the God of the universe or do I cozy up with the rulers in charge? And if you read the gospel stories, the biographies about Jesus, know this, that anytime there's conflict between Jesus and the leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, know that for the Pharisees and Sadducees, this tension, this singular tension between trusting in God or trusting in the powers that be, even though they hate them, is at play. So in the Gospel of Matthew, where that, 
wonderful genealogy is, right after the genealogy finishes, it lands with Jesus, and then it goes into the story of Jesus' birth. And this is how it reads in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when the Lord appeared to him, but just then the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. Now, see, here's the, the beauty of this story. What lineage does Joseph come from? just like King Ahaz. And when Joseph was faced with the same tension, do I trust what my eyes see and only as far as my eyes can see? Or do I trust God in this situation? Because God comes to him in this dream and says, hey, don't do what you're thinking about doing because you're not seeing fully what's going on here. And what he's not seeing is that the Virgin Mary shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, I should have paused when we were looking at the Isaiah story because it's interesting that in that story, when this sign is given to King Ahaz, the name of the child is God is with us, which should have knocked some sense into King Ahaz. That was the whole point of the sign, that God is with you, King Ahaz. Now, interestingly enough, there are all sorts of theories as to whose child this, this sign in Ahaz's day was. There's many theories. Some theorize that the prophet Isaiah, um, he was married, he already had one son, and that it was going to be his child. There was another theory that there was a young woman that was under the kingship and within the household of King Ahaz that was pregnant at the time. The point being is that this child will be named God is with us and there is an immediacy 
to this sign coming to fruition in the day of King Ahaz. Why? Because it is with that immediacy that the two kingdoms that are causing him problems will be wiped out. And it is a sign that because Ahaz chose not to trust in God who is with us, that it will be his ruin. And so what I think is beautiful here is not only does Matthew in this gospel capture this particular phrase, this prophetic utterance by Isaiah in this passage here, to look at the way that Jesus was conceived and came into the world in this miraculous way. But he, he quotes this line that created the tension of who do I pledge my allegiance to right at the beginning of the story of Matthew. Because the people that encounter this Jesus, this king that's coming into the world are going to have to wrestle with the allegiance question. Will I align with Jesus, who will be called Emmanuel, who will be God with us? Or will I remain in alignment with whatever worldly powers make the most sense, create the most safety, create the least amount of headache for me as I navigate this broken and volatile world. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Joseph chose to take the risk to stay in the story, to trust in God rather than his own inclinations. See, in this world, this fallen, this broken world, there are many, many powers begging us to pledge our allegiance to them. The funny thing is, I started off by, by us reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Seriously, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but did you know that the word indivisible is in the middle of that pledge? How indivisible are we as a people? Seems pretty divided to me. I guess we couldn't keep the pledge. <laughs> See, what we pledge our allegiance to will ultimately lead to either good things or it will lead to our downfall. The Christmas story, the Christmas story, it brings hope into the world. But it might not be as warm and fuzzy as we like to think that it is. Because it is actually a line in the sand for every single person that lives in this world. It's a line in the sand to say that God has done something miraculous in this world by sending his only son. As Rick mentioned earlier during communion, that son would come into this world, he would grow up, he would teach, he would make disciples. He would teach people the way to God and he would ask people to follow him in all of his ways. He taught by word and deed. You could see what it meant to follow God by following the son. And this Jesus grew up and he remained faithful to God the Father, faithful all the way to a cross, 
And at that cross, he laid down his life willingly to give of his life to save ours. He was the ransom payment for our sins. But God didn't leave him in the tomb, but raised him on the third day, conquering death once and for all. And that is a message of hope. It's the reason we gather on the first day of the week, because Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. And so it's no wonder we get the warm and fuzzies at Christmas time. But the thing is, is that there's also tension and there's also a line in the sand when Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, enters into our world. Because it's God looking at each and every one of us and saying, I'm with you. Are you with me? That's why this morning, and honestly throughout, the, throughout this series, I want us to remember that God is with us. But I want us to ask an honest question. Am I with him? Am I with him? We love to sing the songs but we often don't like to face the tension and the reality that in this life, we come to points where we have to recognize that God with us calls us to pledge our allegiance to him and only him. He is first and there is no competition for it. And yet, and yet, I would bet that every single one of us faces the same tension that King Ahaz has faced. I'd be willing to bet that we face the same tension that even Joseph faced when he had the dream. Because the real question when we ask, am I with him, is this. Will I pledge my allegiance to any worldly power that's compelling enough for me to align with someone or something other than Jesus. It's easy to point out the political discord, and many people choose to align with a political figure, whether you're on the left or you're on the right. But maybe politics isn't your thing. Maybe, maybe for you, you're pledging your life to an ideal lifestyle. Because you think that some specific thing, like if I, if I lean into my work over God, if I lean into my family over God, if I lean into this hobby over God, whatever it is that makes me feel safe and feel calm and collected, do I pledge my allegiance to that over and against King Jesus? Or here's the really big one that I think every single one of us wrestle with in our independent, individualistic world. Maybe you and me are the power that we've chosen to pledge our allegiance to over God. You know what I mean? It's easy to sit there in your own mind and think, you know, I know better than the God of the universe how to navigate my life. I know I struggle with that. I deal with anxiety mainly because I'm a control freak. 
And the only person that can give me any sense of safety and control of a situation is me. And that's the beauty of the gospel. When Jesus calls his followers to lay down their own lives and follow him, that means that I have to look inward and say, am I the power that I've chosen to pledge allegiance to over and against King Jesus? See, the Christmas story is a hopeful time, and we are not wrong by any means to be grateful, to have hope, to feel warm and safe in what God has done in this world. But I wanna challenge you, and I challenge myself too, to consider that this message that Emmanuel, God with us, has entered into this world is a line in the sand and a call for us to get rid of our lesser allegiances and place them with and only with God who created everything. You know, as we look at the Christmas story, and I, you know, in your bulletins, there's a challenge actually at the end of the, the devotional questions or the small group questions in there. And it's a challenge for you to read the Christmas story throughout this month. And, and there's a reason that we did that. Because the truth is, is that part of the reason we struggle with this tension to pledge allegiance to God only is because oftentimes we think we can get what we want and what we need apart from him. And when you read the Christmas story, I'm struck, especially in the Gospel of Luke by the shepherds. Here are lowly shepherds living out in a field, and the angels come and declare that Jesus has come into the world. And they go and they observe what they've seen, and they run away and they tell everyone with excitement because of what they've seen and what they've heard. You know why? Because they lived in a world of oppression. They had literally nothing but God. And here's the truth at Christmas time. No matter who we pledge our allegiance to in this life and what we think we're going to get from them when we do that, we're fooling ourselves. If we think that we can get anything more than what God can give to us. And that's the hope in the Christmas story. Because God is with us. He sent his only son, not only to save us, but to restore our relationship with the God who created everything. How could we trust in anything else? Please pray with me. God, I thank you for being good to us. I thank you for the message of your son coming into this world. I thank you, God, that your son came into a world that was uh, volatile, and yet we still live in a volatile world today, and that message never gets old because it is a constant call to us that are followers of him to pledge our allegiance to you and you only. So God, I pray that you will help each and every one of us to take up the challenge to look inward and to look around and say, what 
am I aligning with? What am I putting ahead of you? And I pray, God, that you will help us to get rid of that and instead to align ourselves with you and you alone. And I pray, God, that in doing that, that we will be able to celebrate with joy the Christmas message that you sent your son Jesus into a world that was just as broken as the world we live in so that you could save it through him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org. 